morning, everyone. We are in the midst of a Christmas season, although Christmas Day has passed yesterday. We know that this is a time full of tradition. And for many of us, that tradition probably changed this year and last. For many of us, we might be doing things a little different, maybe a little closer to home. But even if the traditions have changed, we know that there are certain things that stay. We watch kids get excited for their gifts. I mean, we get excited for gifts. To give, to receive. Gifts of all kinds, big, small. Maybe they're extravagant, expensive gifts, or maybe they're small, but meaningful. We pour time and energy and money into a season to make everything perfect. And the question is why? If you've come here this morning online or in person, then maybe you have an idea of why we do this. Maybe beyond the box stores and the Boxing Day sales that might or might not happen this year, there's something deeper and richer and more. We've been in the study on the prodigal son. And as we've been learning, hopefully you started to understand that this prodigal thing, we usually refer to the son that runs away, the son that takes from his parents, leaves and wastes it all. But hopefully you've learned that the father, the father is even more prodigal because prodigal isn't just foolishness. It's extravagant. It's lavish. It's above and beyond. And we see a father in this story who not only welcomes back the son that he thought was dead, but a father that in the midst of a party goes back out and he goes to the older brother who's still working. Just why are you out here? Come celebrate, enter my joy, enter into the relationship that I offer. Because the offer of relationship isn't just for the one that runs, it's for the one that stays. It's for anyone. The father welcomes the broken son who recognizes his own issues, but he also welcomes the son who hasn't quite got it yet, who's proud because he stayed, not because of the relationship he's offered. And both are invited into the joy and the excitement of the Father. As we know, yesterday was Christmas Day, and depending on your home, maybe you were opening gifts, maybe you did a big or small meal. But a lot of the world sees Christmas, whether they're Christians or not, as a day to spend extravagantly, to buy, to go into debt even, to give gifts. Because we see a value in giving gifts. We see a value in the smile on our faces, on the on the receiver's face. And hopefully, hopefully many people around the world were sitting there thinking, why do we give? And it's because a God that is so extravagant said, I'm not satisfied with you being far off, but I'm gonna give of myself so that you can come to me. Now, as I thought over Christmases, it's always the question, what was that gift that stuck in your mind? In fact, even on Friday, I was asked that, and I said, hold on, you'll hear it in the sermon. You better come back Sunday. But as I thought, there's two gifts that came to mind. Now, my family was not extravagantly rich by any means. We didn't have much. But we knew at Christmas that my parents would go above and beyond, that they would give even if it hurt. And so the one year I remember on Christmas Eve, we would do the Santa thing and we would get our gift from Santa on Christmas Eve. And we sat there in the living room one year and my brothers got their gifts and there didn't seem to be anything for me. 
And I don't know how old I was, probably eight, nine, ten in there. Maybe I wasn't thinking that much ahead. But when you don't see a gift for you, you start to wonder. Maybe it's that old thought, that coal in the stocking. You don't get a gift, you weren't good this year. I don't know. But very quickly, at the end of my two brothers opening their gifts, it was, Will, go check at the back door. There's something for you there. And I opened the door, and out in front of me was this beautiful red CCM mountain bike. And it had shocks on front and back. It had handle brakes, which I'd never had before. It was this thing of beauty. I mean, maybe as a middle-aged man, you think red sports car. As a 10-year-old, that red CCM bike that I could show off, show everybody, look what my parents got for me. It was above and beyond. In fact, I don't remember asking for a bike, but my parents knew what I wanted and needed, and they got it. And through that bike, I found joy and excitement. Now, there was another Christmas, and this time I knew what I wanted. If you've been here over the past couple of years, maybe you know that my family's a musical family. They've come and they've helped out with different services here. They led our worship service as our team headed off to Peru a few years ago and then again to Senegal. But if you were here, you realize that I wasn't on stage. Everyone else in the family has beautiful musical talent and I sat in the sound booth. And it takes time and talent and skill, but you're not up front. And so one Christmas, I remember I was probably 12, said, I want a guitar. I'm going to learn that guitar so I can be a part, so I can be a member of this musical family. And then in late November, I was climbing a tree when I shouldn't have been, and I fell, and I broke both my arms. Now, if you've ever seen a guitar player, you know you need two arms to play a guitar. You can't learn. I mean, there are some that learn with their feet, but when you have very little musical talent, your arms you need for a guitar. And I remember it was probably going, do I need a guitar anymore? I mean, I'm in casts. At the beginning, I couldn't even move my one arm. It was up to my shoulder. I couldn't lift the cast. It was so heavy. Was there a point to getting a guitar when I couldn't use it? And yet still on Christmas morning, out comes this beautiful guitar, and it's laid on my lap, and I don't touch it. My hands are in the air because those casts will destroy everything that's just been handed to me. And with that eight weeks of four broken bones and inability to touch the guitar, that guitar was not used. In fact, I took it out probably less than 10 times in a couple of years because I didn't see the invitation that it was. I thought, on to the next thing. I can't play it when I got it, so it's not worth it. And eventually I sold that guitar. I never learned to play. I never use it to be a part. I didn't accept the invitation in. Now, for many of us, we have different experience about invites. Maybe you were invited here this morning or to Christmas Eve. Maybe you were invited to family stuff this year and you said, we've got to stay safe, we can't. Maybe you have a father that has said, come, I want to be a part. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't experienced the invitation that I did. Maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe he was working and he thought that just by getting enough money and giving you what you needed, it was enough. They didn't need relationship. Or maybe they just didn't understand that the way they showed love wasn't the way you needed love. But we have a heavenly father who knows it all. He knows how you need love, when you need love, what you need in love. 
And our Father in heaven is a good Father who gives good gifts. Just as the father in the prodigal runs up, open arms, accepts his son back in a fashion that was totally against the culture. Our God, our Father in heaven, gives good gifts. He invites and welcomes us in. And he offers something. Now we know about the invite, but we're going to read from Ephesians 1. Because the invite of into the celebration is not where it ends. See, we're offered every spiritual blessing. So follow along with me as I read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us with his kindness, showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would, praise, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. He's got a plan, and his plan comes together in unity under Christ for his glory and his praise. So let's look a little closer at the plan. Ephesians 3, 6 says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. God's plan is not for a select few. God's plan wasn't just for the Jews. God's plan isn't just for us in this room. God's plan is that no matter what your ethnicity, culture, where you were born, what your gender is, what your family makeup is, it doesn't matter because his plan is that all people would hear the good news of Jesus and believe. He sends the invitation out, and that belief leads us into equal share in the inheritance of God's children to enjoy the promise of blessing because we belong to Jesus. Okay, good news. 
gospel? What is this thing? Because we like to use these words and phrases that maybe we don't use outside of the church. God created a perfect world. And he creates this beautiful plan. So I'm going to place Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're going to be there in my perfect creation, in my presence. And I made them perfect in my image so that they might worship and glorify me and bring, bring honor to me. But humans went their own way. It's still the thought in our minds. Maybe I want to do what I want. I want to live my best life. I want to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, and it doesn't matter. And I'm going to ignore the fact that something in me tells me there's a higher power with expectation, with desire to be with me. We create this brokenness and separation, and we look at the world and chaos ensues. Our brokenness, our separation from God, our turning on God caused so much damage to this world. But God wasn't satisfied with that. He warned Adam and Eve that the punishment for their sins was death. Death, not just physical, but death eternal. Separation from the creator, the design. And when they disobeyed, he already had planned to fix it. He knew we'd need a savior. And the Bible tells us before time began, this was all laid out. He knew what was coming and he sent a savior. One who would pay the debt that we owe so that we no longer have to be separated from God. God's up here. We can't reach no matter how high we jump, no matter how good we are. So he comes to us in the form of the son And through Jesus, he offers us adoption. He raises us up to be with him in heavenly places as children with new life, the way it was meant to be. Now we have this saying as Christians when we get upset that people are focused on the gifts. We say, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we harp on that. And no, you must say Merry Christmas and you must do this because it's about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not just about Jesus on Christmas. It's not just about Jesus coming as a baby and we like to sing things like Silent Night, Holy Night, everything's calm except for the lady in labor giving birth and the animals freaking out. We like this perfect image of Jesus in popular movies. Like, I like the baby Jesus. Maybe not the one that challenges me and invites me in but says, I don't want to leave you where you are. And so he offers us the gift of relationship, but he doesn't leave us there. He offers us every spiritual blessing. So we have a few spiritual blessings. I'm going to pull out five from the passage I had, and they're just quick. Because I hope that in this season, you'll go back and look. You'll look at scripture and figure out what does God offer. So our spiritual blessing, number one, is that we're offered relationship. That's what's missing. That's what's broken with sin. We're offered relationship with God. We are offered to come into his house, to come into his joy and his presence. Not just for a taste. It's not like the prodigal son went in, grabbed a bite to eat and left again. The father welcomes him in, puts his best cloak around him, gives him a ring to say, you are mine. And that's what God does for us. It's not a child in name only on a piece of paper. It's a child of the Father's heart. 
We were enemies, but God bought us back. He made the peace treaty through his own blood on the cross. And some things that as humans we might not like is the fact we can't earn God's favor. There's nothing I can do that will ever have God say, yeah, you're good enough for me, come back. You've earned my favor and my grace. You've earned my love. No. No, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't. And as much as that hurts, it's probably the best thing about Christianity. I don't have to earn my way back to God. I don't have to memorize the Bible, do this, do that, show up every Sunday. I can't be sick. I can't miss that because I got to look and do what God expects just to gain his love. No, he's not a human father. He's a heavenly father that meets us right there. And the favor that we receive is of nothing of our own, but because Jesus, when he came to earth, lived a perfect life. He had God's favor. And in his death and resurrection, he is able to offer that favor on us. And now God looks through the lens of Jesus when we believe. And he offers his favor and says, come, my child. In verse 5 of Ephesians 1, we're told that not only does he adopt us, but it's not a thing that he feels forced to do. It brings him great pleasure. Have you ever thought about that? God, the creator of the universe, who knows every mistake you've made, every evil thought, finds good pleasure in you when you are his child. He grins upon us and welcomes us in. And I said that God had to purchase us through Jesus' blood. You see, the Bible tells us we're slaves to sin, and we don't like that word slaves. It holds too much baggage, but maybe that's the point. We are slaves to sin. We are unable to break free. We are chained to our evil nature. And just as a slave could not buy their own freedom, we couldn't either. Couldn't earn it, couldn't buy it, couldn't break free and run from it because it's who I am as a human. But again, God doesn't leave us there. See, our pride gets in the way, and at a certain point when we go after the things of this world and the things of our desire, even the things we know aren't of God, we become blind. In fact, there are times that we think we're honoring God when we are doing things that are inherently against him. Our pride blinds us, and we no longer even see a need for a savior, a need for a God. I can do it on my own. I am king. This is me, and that's who I'm supposed to be. Yet Jesus paid the price for our freedom, and that price was death. The only way to break free from sin is to bear the punishment. But Jesus says, I'll bear it for you. I'll take that cross on my shoulders. I will be beaten and whipped and bruised. I will be tortured and spit on and made fun of. And I will suffer not just the physical death, but the separation. The separation from God that comes in darkness when he gives up his spirit. Separation I deserve. And yet he says, you won't ever have to suffer that again if you believe in me. Because he bought our freedom and gives it as a free gift. Now as children of God, we are given the freedom, but we are also given intimate knowledge of a plan. As you're a part of a family, you hear bits and pieces of plans. Maybe there are surprises here and there. That's great. But you know what's going on in your family the good and the bad. You know the ultimate plan. 
And we're told in Scripture that before we were servants and slaves, we didn't know the Father's plan, just what the little pieces that we saw. But in that adoption as children, we are given the plan. And that plan is redemption and renewal, is new life for all that would follow Jesus. We're given unity in this. You see, Jesus prays and we do say, call this thing the high priestly prayer, which is Jesus praying to the Father on our behalf. And the key focus is unite them. Don't let them be snatched away. And we know as humans, unity is not something that we do well. We know in a pandemic, we've seen the big and the small things that separate us, that pull us away from each other and from God. But here and now, if you believe in Jesus, you are brought into a unity with Christ and with others, not just in this room, not just at home, but all around the world, there's a body of believers that are made one in Christ, seeking the glory of God. And not just now, but there's a foretaste right now. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring all things together under him. And there will be no more little things, no more sin to get in the way, but there will be perfect unity the way it was supposed to be, not just with each other, but with God himself. And with that comes an inheritance. We know that in at least Western culture, the inheritance doesn't happen until someone's died. The parents die, they try and leave what they can. Well, Jesus has died. And now the inheritance is offered here and now. You see, we are invited not just to be children, but to be co-heirs with Christ. And we know that the Bible tells us Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the hand of power, and he's ruling. And when Jesus returns, we as co-heirs will rule with him the way we were designed to rule over the new creation. Caretaking, being a part of, glorifying God, that was how we were designed to rule. Worshiping and glorifying the rightful king in all the glory he deserves. And then we run into the spirit. You see, we have this identity problem. Many of us go through it. The teenage years are known as that time where we figure out, who am I? What am I worth? What am I good at? What am I bad at? What do people think of me? Even as adults, as we go through jobs, as we take care of children, as we get older, whatever stages we're in, it's constantly rediscovering who am I. And in January, Pastor Daniel's going to preach on that. We're going to go deep into our identity in Christ. But there's a foundation that we need to have. There's something that needs to be at the base of all of this. Because if we start defining our identity by what we see, what we feel, how we act, when we start going at work, I'm this person, at home, I'm this person, with the church, I'm this person, when we start defining these little areas of influence, when we look at our social media feeds and go, that's not many likes. Who am I? Do people even care? Well, the foundation as Christians, actually as all creation, is that you are a creature. You are created, and as humans, you are created in the image of God. That's the start of identity. You have a father who loves you so much that he wove you together in your mother's womb. He formed every atom and molecule. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He sees every tear. And he says, come, my child. 
Come, I will adopt you. You just have to take hold. Come. But the problem is, how do we trust that? How do we trust that what the word of God says is true? How do we trust that that prayer or that dedication that we made to God does what we think it's going to do? Well, that's where the Spirit comes in. Because God doesn't simply say, hey, pray this prayer, you're good to go, you never have to worry again. He says, no, come into my presence and I will give you my Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is offered to all who believe. This is what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. And when you believe, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Faithful God fulfills his promises, gives himself. The Spirit is God's guarantee that you will give us, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he's purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Some people wear crosses. Some people wear religious garb. Maybe your family is a family that says, at church we have to dress our finest. We do things to identify ourselves, but it doesn't matter what time, what place, what culture you come from, there's one thing that identifies all Christians, and that is the Spirit of God. That is God himself who dwells in us and with us, who whispers truth in our ear when we're struggling, who makes the Bible come alive, who reminds us we are God's children and that there is a promise that is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled at the coming of Christ. And all of these blessings stem from Jesus. Paul constantly says, in Jesus, through Jesus, with Jesus, because without Jesus, we are just another religion made by man. But with Jesus, we are one true faith serving, one true God who did it all for us. So the question is, do you step into that? When you open that gift of salvation, of renewal, do you step in? Do you open it up? Do you toss away the packaging? Or... Like me with that guitar, does that present go back in its case and sit there and look pretty? Is it simply a present that it's a shelf item? Or is it something that impacts every day? Now, there are two pictures I think of when I think of a father at Christmas. One is that ever-regal father. I think... I think of different movies that we see, different fathers who are professionals. And their kids are out of sight, out of mind. Kids are seen and not heard. Think of Mary Poppins. The father has no understanding of the kids. He hires nannies to deal with that because he's too prim and proper. And he comes home and you see this image of him sitting down in his chair and his wife serving him hand and foot. The kids come up, hi dad, how are you? Whatever they're saying. And he kind of dismisses. And there's that father at Christmas that kind of sits there they sit in that nice wing-back chair. Maybe their feet are up. Maybe they have that fancy jacket on. And their kids are by the tree. And maybe they smile as their kids open those presents. And they're there, aren't they? But they're not there. They're not with those kids. They're sitting looking on, letting it happen. And then there's the father. The father who despite wanting to be respected, says, okay, I'll wear those matching PJs. I'll wear that ridiculous thing that you, my child, asked me to do, even though I don't want to. 
The child, that, the father that comes to the children and they're the ones grabbing the presents out of under the tree saying, open this, open this, open this, wait, you can't wait to see what I have for you. And you see that child trying to get into that present and the dad's like, no, not, not quick enough. And they start ripping and tearing. You've got to see this present. And when the child gets into it and it's in all its fancy wrapping inside the box, the packaging, they go, it's all right, grab me those scissors. We're going to get this thing out. And you're going to use this right here and right now because I got it for you. And I want you to use it. And I'm going to show you this goes like this. And this does that. And when the kid doesn't put that train on the tracks, they don't get angry. Say, hey, if that's working, why don't you try this? Why don't we try that? Hey, here's that candy that I know we haven't eaten breakfast, lunch, or dinner yet, but here, eat that. Enjoy. And they are absorbed in the joy that the presents bring. They sit there laughing and giggling and receiving the thanks of their children. That's who God is. He doesn't sit above in a pompous self-respect. He humbles himself. And he comes in our midst and he says, here's the gift I have for you. This is what I have for you. And the rest of the book of Ephesians actually tells us how to open that gift. And I challenge you, read Ephesians. It's six chapters. You can probably read it in under an hour if you really read through quick. But slow down and read it. Because Ephesians 1, 1 to 3, 21 gives us this praise. And it's Paul, the apostle of, apostle of Jesus, saying, praise God for this. Look at his spirit. Look at what he's given us. There's all these blessings. I thank God for you. I thank God for this. I thank God for that. And then chapter 4 to 6 says, because of that, here's what I will do. And here's what we need to do. Just like that train needing to be on the tracks or a bike being given to give freedom or access or maybe those kitchen utensils giving you permission to create in the kitchen. How do we use the things we've been given? What does new life in Christ mean? Ephesians 4, 21 to 32. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, set apart for God. So what do we do? Stop telling lies. Lies to yourself, lies to other, lies to God. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So what do we do? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. 
Oh, and if I didn't cover everything, also get rid of all types of evil behavior. Instead, now here's the switch, old self gone, new self's coming. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Be like Jesus. Use the gift. Because we're not invited to come in and wash our clothes a little bit and then they get dirty again. We're invited to take off our old picture sweater with holes and food stains. We've seen it before. Our hair's a mess. We're a mess. God says, no, no, no. Go into the house and clean up. Here's the gift. Here's that new sweater. Here's that thing that instead of wind going through the holes is now going to keep you warm, is going to protect you, is going to care for you. It's going to meet your needs. You see, we're invited to transformation. God doesn't say, pray a prayer, and that's it. You're good. It's that insurance prayer, right? You don't need anything else. It's a just in case. No, God says you were dead in your trespasses, but I've offered you newness of life. We don't just join a party for a short time, as I said, but as the son in the prodigal son story, he goes in and he revels in his father's relationship, knowing he doesn't deserve it, but enjoying it because it's what the, what the father offers. A child of God gets rid of all these things. We know as we listen to this list, how often do I fall into that? How often do my words become harsh? How often do I gossip? How often do I let things fester inside of me as I become more and more angry and bitter to the point where I can't even say hi to that person? Or all the other evil things that I do. No, get rid of that. And put on, clothe yourself in kindness, in tenderheartedness, and one of the hardest things, forgiveness. Forgiving yourself, forgiving others, and living in that forgiveness, even when every day and every time you see that person, you have to say, no, God, I've forgiven them, help me. Even when we look in the mirror and say, that person's not worth it, no, God, you say I'm your child and that I'm worth it. Forgive me. Help me forgive myself for my problems and errors. Because we're not our own. You and I were purchased at a price. A price that cost Jesus his life. His very blood. And why, when such a costly price is given, would we decide to take off the present and put back on our whole filled stained sweater? Why would we go back and sit in the dirt when we're invited to the table to feast? Why would we chase after crumbs when there's more than enough for us at the cross, in the house of God. And as we come into the new year, there's a challenge. In general, people do these things, they make these promises at New Year's, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna work out this much, I'm gonna lose this much weight, I'm gonna eat better. And before it even starts, you're already eating those Christmas dinners and those candies and all those presents. Because it's of our own willpower and our willpower isn't that great. Maybe you're better than I am, but when those candies are sitting there, I can't stop from eating them. But God says, don't stay there. Don't stay in your brokenness and your oldness. Move in 
to what I've offered. And in this new year, we want you to take time to reflect, to challenge yourself and say, am I doing these things that God lays out? Am I living in my identity as a child of God? And if not, why? And we pray, God, show us why we do these things and what those things are and help us. Renew us with your spirit. Make us new. Transform us. For we are not children of sin. We are children of the Most High God, the Father, Daddy. So as you evaluate, think about Sunday mornings. Think about life groups. Are those the only times that you give to God? Are they even the times that you give to God? Do you honor God when you're at work, when you're at home with your planning, with the way you sign your kids up for hockey, soccer, whatever other thing you're signing them up for? Is God your priority? Are you listening to God? When you allot your time, when you set that alarm clock in the morning, is it, I'm going to set it so I get just enough sleep to get out the door, to move on to work, to school, to whatever it is? Or have you set aside time? Is life group that thing that you go to because you had nothing better to do? Or is it that thing where you say life group will be a commitment no matter what it costs me because I will never give up fellowship and growth for something second best? Is your time in the word of God simply here when someone puts it on the screen for you? Or have you said I will give up 10 minutes, half an hour, three hours to get into God's word, to listen to the spirit, to live in the spirit in my own life but also in my family's life, and I will challenge them, and I will encourage them, and I will love them and walk alongside them to make sure we are family rooted in the gospel of Christ. It's kind of scary. I know many people are told this free gift of forgiveness. Well, it is free, but how much does it cost? What do we give up? Because although salvation is free, God doesn't leave us in the dirt we're in. It says, I have more for you, and it's going to take time and effort and my help, but I will renew you day by day, moment by moment, into my image. It's going to take work and commitment, but with God's help, he is faithful to complete the work he started in you. And instead of telling ourselves, I can't live up to the standard, so I won't bother, I won't even try, oh, I missed this day in the Bible, so I'll just give up. I got behind on my reading plan. I forgot to pray. I got too busy. No, we stop there and say reset time. Reset time. Reset time. Okay, God, I'm resetting. Help me. Strengthen me. Make your will my will. Because we have an extravagant father. So one more image I want to leave you with. Think of a child. Think of that bike. And if you've seen a child learning to ride, they get there, the training wheels are on, it's pretty easy. At least as an adult, we think so. And they're riding and they become confident and so we say, okay, time to take those training wheels off. And they go, no, I'll fall. And we help them and we encourage them and we walk alongside them. And those training wheels come off. And they say, mom, your daddy, hold on to the seat. Hold on to that seat. I don't want to fall. I'm scared. And so we do that, and we're running, and we're running, and eventually they're outdoing us. We can't keep up. But we're there, and we're holding on, and then we release them. And they go, and they ride, 
And maybe they last one second, and maybe they keep riding until they forget how to stop and crash into something. But at some point, that kid falls off. They scrape their knee, their elbow, they're in tears, they're broken, they're hurting. They're staring at that bike. Probably want to kick it. I'm done with this. I can't do this again. And then the father steps into view. That one that was holding the bike for them that they forgot is even there because they're so angry and so hurt and so scared. And the father that was there the whole time says, look at me, not at the bike. Look at me. And the father reaches down and lifts them up and holds them to his chest. Strokes their hair. Calms their tears. Checks out that scraped knee, cleans it up. And when the child is calm because they know they can trust their father, the father says, time to do it again. I know you don't want to, but this is for your best. So I will hold that seat again. I will help you back on, and I will teach you, try this, don't do that, don't lean, keep straight. Don't try and turn yet, you're not ready. And the father comes alongside and encourages and convinces that child back onto that bike. And that child eventually, with practice and care from a parent, discovers freedom. Freedom to use the gift the way it was supposed to be used knowing that when they screw up, when they turn too sharply, when they don't look both ways, when they go over their handlebars, their daddy is still there. And they can come crying to him saying, I screwed up, I'm hurt, I don't want to do this. And daddy reaches down and says, my child, you are mine, and we will figure this out together. Those blessings that go beyond a prayer that go beyond who we are, are sealed by the Holy Spirit who works to transform us. And so we as, as we unbox these gifts, let's pray. Worship team, you can come up. God, we, we hurt and we struggle and we stray and our human nature says, ignore the Father, you're king. Fire insurance is enough. But that's not what scripture says, and that's not all you have to offer, and there's so much more. So we pray in this season of reflection, looking toward a new year, that, that we would read your word they would see that it's more than just a prayer, that it's a relationship, that Holy Spirit, you are with us and in us, working through us and making us more into the image of Christ. Let us not set aside the presence for things we think are better. Let us not give up hope in the midst of a pandemic when we can't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. But let us see you and fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Instead of looking at that bike we fell off, us, off of, let us look into the face of the Father. Let us hear the words, my child. But don't leave us where we're at. Don't leave us where we're at, but train us up, make us new, make us look more like you, and let that overflow into our lives as we love on, as we speak to, as we forgive, as we hope, as we trust, as we get rid of all those evil ways. Make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Happy New Year.